0: I was thinking there's a lot of confusion out there about why you should do church and it would be good to preach on that. So my goal today is to answer the question, why be part of a church? Originally, I titled this, Why Go to Church? Why would you think this would be a better title than why, than why go to church? That's really good. Well, well expressed. You can go to church without being part of a church. Yeah. Yeah. So it applies, it's a place you go to, a set location rather than a community. Okay, all right. Well, I think there's going to be lots more questions this morning, so I'm going to move on. Uh, my outline is very simple. I'm going to talk about what church is and what it's not, and then I'm going to talk about what it means for us. Um, well, I want to ground this in Scripture. and. I think the most uh, powerful grounding scripture for me is in the book of Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is giving the grand sweep of history and how our present point fits in with this grand sweep of history. And he he says everything's been building up to this point with Jesus coming. Everything's been building up. And then he says... To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God who created all things. In other words, there's an ultimate plan God has for the universe, which has been hidden for thousands of years. The prophets were given pictures of it, uh, but they weren't given something specific and precise. It's not until after Jesus was raised from the dead, we're told exactly what this mystery was. It's that the church will show, will be the manifold wisdom of God and be made known to the rulers, authorities in the heavenly places. And so... The church itself is the new creation that God is working on. He's He's producing something which is going to eclipse the glory of what was there before and declare it to all the spiritual forces, rulers, and authorities, even in the heavenly places. And he says, this was according to the eternal purpose that is realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So... Obviously, church is kind of important to God if this is the thing that's been kept secret and is now revealed that what God is going to be doing, and it's the culmination of all God is doing in his master plan. So uh, the, uh, it's the pinnacle of God's creative work. So I want to ask you, before we actually get on to the specifics of church, often the church in the New Testament is described with metaphors, with pictures can somebody tell me uh, a picture for the church? A metaphor? The church is like a... Sorry, A church is like a body. That's right. The church is like a body. Um, that's. Not, I'm going to come on to that in a minute. But what would what would uh, what what would what would another picture be for the church? A family. The church would be a family. Um, what else would a church be? A bride, yes, the bride of Christ. So you've got the first one in my order. Actually, let me just go back out of that. So each picture has got some ideas along with it. So what ideas come along with the idea of a bride? If the church is a bride, that means what? Yeah? Committed love. love. That's good. Yes, committed love. That's right. Yes. Yes. Yes, that's right. It's being married to Christ. So uh, that would be the first. That, so what else? To, the, what other images are there? Yeah? Oh, sorry, are oh, yeah. Cool. The committed love is both ways. Committed love is both ways. Yeah, that's great. And a bride is beautiful. Okay. bride is, yeah. City. A city. Yes, it's a, a, it's a city or a temple, uh, a building. So what imagery does the, this idea of, of church being a building, what does that come along with that? Or a temple foundation but foundation? Well, we like the idea of a temple yeah it's the dwelling place of God so the temple is where God dwells so we are the place where God dwells because we are the temple and so if the church is a temple what are we as individuals Living stones. That's right. We are the stones that make the temple up. So that's a common image. Um, and uh, then we had the image of body. So what does the image of body have in the uh, in uh, going along with it? If the church is a body, it means that yeah, interdependence. That's right. Every part does its share. And Paul is quite explicit in places where he describes that. So um, and. The the body. I'm going to link that with family because it's got they're, they're often put in the same same place. So the family is where everybody is doing their part within the family, and there's a love for one another. There's one more metaphor which is there. A city? We've got city there, temple or city. I just okay. combined those. One more that's there. Um, uh, I thought Charles might get this when he put his hand up, but yeah. Like an army, that's right. It's like an army. And what what goes along with the church being like an army? You have a mission. Have a mission. That's good. You have a mission. You have power. And there's victory. There's purpose. So that's those are the, the, the ideas that go along with that imagery. Um, so uh, this is God's plan for the church. Now, um, God doesn't have a plan B if the church should fail. God doesn't say, well, if the church doesn't make it, I've got, you know, something else is going to happen. No, because he's going to make sure that it does succeed. And you might say, well, it's not doing a terribly good job in the church at the moment. Yeah, but, you know, I believe that's what gives me hope because I believe that the church will be triumphant in this world. And we read that God's glory will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And I believe we're going to see God using his church to do what he says, to demonstrate his power to all the spiritual forces um so uh does anybody okay so there's some metaphors does anybody like to give me a definition for what the church means what does church mean right okay uh so what it means is the what the actual word church means is a greek word ecclesia which literally means a gathering people coming together and uh so this this word church um a better word name would be congregation and in uh Acts um, 19 is actually used of a riot, the same word. Now, some cried about one thing, some another, for the, literally, church was in confusion. And this is a riot. This isn't Christians. This is just all the pagan people in the city who are angry about Paul's preaching. And because they're gathered, it's called a church. It's called an ecclesia. And so the word in Greek has got no spiritual connotations. It simply means a bunch of people who are gathered together. So... What does that mean? Well, it means that first and foremost that you can't have a church where people are not actually gathering. You can't have an internet church. It, doesn't, it really doesn't mean anything. You actually have to physically meet together to be a church. Of course, it's more than just meeting together, but you have to physically meet together. And um, Now, another thing that you hear is... You, people might say, well, I don't go to church because I think, you know, the church is all over the world and it's everywhere. And so I'm not, you know, it's a universal church and I'm part of that. I'm not part of any congregation. And it's true that the word church is sometimes used not to mean a local congregation, but to mean a. Uh, all of the Christians in space and time. Now, I went through every reference to the word Ecclesia in the New Testament. There are 114 references. And of those, 19 are used like this. 19 are used generally, but all of the rest refer to a specific congregation. Let me give you some examples. So here's a general one. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So this church is being used generally of uh, all all of the congregations, all the groups gathered together. Another one. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So that's one of the few places where it really does mean like the church throughout all time. But most of the times, 80% of the times, it refers to individual congregations like this. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. And if you look at the stories, you know he's going to a town and he's meeting with the people who meet in that town. And of course, all of the epistles... Practically all the epistles, the letters that we have in the, in the Bible are written to specific congregations. And at the beginning of Revelation, there are seven congregations there are letters that are written to. And so that is the most common. So that's, uh, so that's, I'm trying to answer the question there. People who say, well, you know, I, I don't go to an individual congregation. I'm part of the universal church. Really, if you're trying to understand what Bible means by church, it's literally gathering together, and these are specific congregations. This is the, the normal usage of the word. So if the church is what God is doing throughout time, and he's, he's doing it, this is what it actually looks like in this place. So another argument somebody might say is, well, you know, um, Jesus spoke about the kingdom. Jesus didn't talk about church. Uh, I'm a kingdom person, not a church person. Um so what does that mean? Why did Jesus not talk about church? He talked about the kingdom. Well, the very simple first answer to that, the church was kept as a mystery until Jesus after Jesus went to be with the Father, the Spirit was poured out, and on the day of Pentecost, the church was born. And so Jesus was... was keeping that back from the, what it was going to be happening, um, because that was going to be like a surprise, what was going, God was doing. But nevertheless, kingdom and church are not that different in the way they're used. Um, the If we want to say, what does the word kingdom mean? The kingdom is actually God's new creation life that's inside us. It's about God's power, God's rule, God's values. It's invisible. It's like yeast. You know, if you've never made bread, you put yeast in it and you can't see it. But as Jesus said, it's like the yeast that spreads throughout the dough. But then everything begins to rise and you can see its effect. And so the kingdom of God comes into our hearts, it's taught, it's preached. But what happens is it transforms people, it creates new life in people, and as people create have new life, they come together and they form communities. And so what that means is the church is the visible manifestation of this new kingdom community. So, the church is not equal to the kingdom, the church is like the visible manifestation of the kingdom. It's not the only manifestation, like justice and righteousness and and so on are general, general things like that are manifestations, but it's the, it's the the most important. And when this world is gone, when we, this, this world is, God comes again and we, the, the new creation comes to its fullness, then, the God's people will be the same as his kingdom. They will be the, it will all become visible, and it will be what God's new creation is all about. So, it's now, it's imperfect, it's impure, but the, the true church will be revealed as the pinnacle of the new creation. <clears throat> right, <clears throat> so I'm going to ask you some practical questions now about a church. Um, do we have to have a building to be a church? No, we don't. Okay. Mm. Okay. So the question is not, do you meet in a building rather than meet out of doors, which I agree with you is a very practical thing. But like, do you have to own a building? Well, obviously we don't own a building. But you don't even have to meet in the same place every time. There's many, many countries where it would be very unsafe to meet in the same place because your authorities would find out who you are. Yeah. The early church met in people's homes. That's right. It's been calculated that the largest of the homes you could get about one hundred and twenty people in, because the way the, the Roman homes were built would be have a central courtyard, and the buildings would surround it, and in the middle there'd be an open area, and people could meet in that area. And from archaeology, we, we guess around one hundred and twenty would be the maximum size. And so that, would, but then. Uh, We we gather that sometimes the church then would meet in a larger space, maybe out of doors, and a larger gathering could take place, because uh, Peter, after all, spoke to several thousand, and um, Jesus spoke to large numbers when he was preaching out of doors. But they didn't own buildings in those days. Okay, so let me ask you another question. Do we have to have a name? Like we called New Life Church, but we could be just called Church. Is there any value in having a name? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it would just create confusion if we just said we're a church. And, um, there are actually some groups that have called themselves the Church International or something like that. That's been their name. Um, but, but, um, uh, it, the name is, is, really just for convenience. There's no, sp- there's spiritual like, identity that comes from the name, except New Life name. We've, cho- New Life is a name we've chosen because that's what we're about. We're about New Life in Christ. We're about His power. And I'll talk about that more in a minute. Um, if a group of us happen to have coffee together sometime, you know, a bunch of us discover where we see each other and we say, oh, let's go to Tim Hortons and we're sitting around a table. Is that a church? So this this uh, brings us to this core question: What actually do we mean by church? Um, if we meet once a week, you know, together and we just hang out once a week, is that church? Well, I'm going to say what I think church is. I've been talking; we've been building up to this now, looking at the metaphors, looking at uh, <clears throat> universal, local, the kingdom values. What is a church? I want to say that a church is a group of people, first of all, that regularly meet together because the word church means gather, and so the idea of gathering is, is central. Now, that doesn't mean to say that if somebody is sick and they're not able to come out or for some reason they can't meet for a while, they're not part of the church, they can still be part of the community, people can visit them, and they can still be function. But the main idea is meeting together like this. The second thing I want to say is that there's a significant commitment to one another, and we uh, Charles mentioned the word um, uh, family, and we had the word body, and families and bodies there are there's a commitment. You know, your your hand is committed to the the rest of your body, and the, the idea of one another being committed to one another, <clears throat> and um, this is this is critical. <clears throat> my 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 dad was younger. Um, He used to go to a a church that was a very famous church. I was thinking about it. it It's probably the first church I ever went to as a baby. And it was a big, big church in London where there was a preacher who was just amazing, a guy called Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And people travel from all over to go to this place. Um, But there was absolutely no church life. It was a preaching center. You would go and listen to him preach, and then people would go home. And my dad said there was no community whatsoever. It was just to go and hear this awesome, amazing, amazing preacher. So it's critical then that there is body life. The next thing I would say is that the church is committed to some sort of body of truth. <clears throat> that if you're meeting together and you're doing church, then there's some kind of of. Connection you all have we we all have with each other. This, these are the things we believe. We believe in the Bible. We believe the Bible is our authority. That that's uh, that is God's word to us. And we believe a, a whole lot of other things that we share together. Uh, another critical thing is that we believe in the operation of the gift of the Spirit for building a uh, building up of one another. And um, and this is not just to receive but to give as well. Now I think that this is a point which is. Which is really missed by a lot of the people criticizing church because they're all about what do I get? You know, if I go to this place, what do I get? I don't get this. This is serving me better. But actually, an uh, uh, equally important question is what do I give? Because you can't grow as a Christian unless you're using your gifts. And one of our goals as New Life Church, one of our main purposes is to develop your gifting. Because you grow as you develop your gift. And in the New Testament, the main purpose, the core purpose of the gifts is to be exercised with one another. Of course, that spills out in the world, and we get evangelism and other people are brought in. But to start with, we exercise our gifts to one another. And so um, a church then is a place where we grow in our gifts and we exercise our gifts to one another. And this Enables us to grow as Christians, and then uh, addition to that, there's leadership that happens, and the, the New Testament model of how that works. And I could probably add more things onto that. Um, you know, some people would add like other things, like a place where you celebrate the Lord's Supper and baptism, and you know uh, lots of other things from that. We could probably go on and, and and add other things to what a church is, but a church. I think that. Um, that if we if we have the, the model of a body and the model of a family and the model of all of us being given gifts by the Spirit for helping one another, everything that comes out of those truths will define who we are so what about organizations, Christian organizations, which, and there's a lot of them, which uh, aren't actually churches, but they're Christian organizations and they do good. And we often use the word parachurch, and there will be ministries, societies, businesses, independent charities, and uh, they, they, uh, they do great works. And so, uh, you can, um, you probably know of many of them. Uh, now, one of the problems with something, now I don't want to be knocking parachurch because I'm going to say I think that they, they fill a very important role providing you understand the limitations. <clears throat> One of the problems with the parachurch is where is the accountability of people within that movement? Like, who is looking at their lives? Who is saying, who is actually walking with them and regularly meeting with them and being holding them accountable? Um, even the Apostle Paul, after he went on his first missionary journey, our each missionary journey, he went back to the church that sent him and gave him an account of all that he had done. Um, and uh, so... Um, Unfortunately, today there are well-known prophetic ministries and healing ministries where there's, it's been discovered there's no accountability and all kinds of things happen because nobody is actually being involved with the life of the leaders. They're not being, uh, being involved. They're not involved in a church or in a church where there's some accountability. <laughs> um, there are other organizations like Bible colleges, missionary societies, publishing companies, uh, which are which we have, which um, have some weaknesses if they're not linked to churches. So, for example, um, Bible colleges can go off the rails uh, in terms of their teaching if they're not held accountable by churches as what they teach. And I've seen that happen in different places. And I've also seen good morals as well. Um, and missionary societies... Um, uh, the old model for a missionary society is, you know, you, they, they become a, an ent- entity which sends missionaries out and just raises funds for them. But a much better model is one where there's a, there's somebody within a congregation. We've had people within this congregation who've gone out as missionaries and we support them financially and they come back and they tell us what is happening, just as Paul did within the, the, um, church. But there are, there's a role for missionary societies who will actually help them negotiate um, legal problems and immigration and all that sort of thing, practical health problems that can be a resource for them. And so there can be a place for missionary societies. Uh, publishing companies is another issue. Um, one of the problems is some of our, our best-known Bibles, for example, the NIV, is published by Zondervan, who is owned by a secular publishing corporation. Well, what's the problem with that? Well, the the goal with their goal for this particular translation of the Bible is not that it should be the most faithful one, but it should make money. Obviously, they've got shareholders. They need to make money. And uh, generally speaking, this hasn't led to a problem with the NIV, I don't think. I think it's pretty faithful. But other other people have said, no, we want something that's distinctively Christian. And the ESV, for example, as a response to that, it's a translation which is... Um, which is controlled by Christians who have a mission and they're accountable to churches. So publishing companies is another area of question. Uh, you could go on Christian record labels, bookstores, clothing companies. Uh, then one one other thing I want to talk about. Oh, one other thing in this. Um, we support an organization organization called CAP, and CAP stands for Christians Against Poverty, and we've run courses with them, and they help churches uh reach their community with giving them financial help and budgeting help. They're a really great organization, and one of their key concepts is we will only work through local churches. We want to empower churches to do the work. We're just going to support the church. And I think that's a great model. They're a resource for the church, but all of the actual work is done on the ground by churches. Um, there's another uh, kind of gray area, and that's with speciality churches. Uh, for example, uh, youth churches, biker churches, surfer churches. I heard of a surfer church, which, you know, what happens is to start with, it's great. God does an amazing work among surfers. They get together. They start... Um, Worshipping God together, before long, the church community, and uh, this is great. And I don't want to knock that kind of thing, but in the long term, it really is not sustainable because it becomes quite exclusive. And if you want to go to them, and you're not a, a surfer, are you welcome? And so, if it's healthy, as the time goes on, it will diversify, and it won't be just focused on a particular group. So. Um, uh, so having talked uh, a while about the uh, definitions and, and so on, I want to come to the point and say, um, what what can we say positively about the church? And one of the great descriptions is in Ephesians chapter 4. There's another really great description in First Corinthians 12. But here is uh, Paul talking about the matter of body. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner... Worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And the calling is being, being a part of God's new people. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And so this is, he's talking about then how this works as a, as a community. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he goes on to talk about how we're each given gifts to use within the body to build one another up. But but the, before he goes on to the gifts... He he's in the first uh, three verses there. He's emphasizing that we have an opportunity as a church to show this kind of love, to show humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, maintaining unity. And so, fundamental before anything, uh, anything else happening, it's an opportunity to love one another. And you might say, "Well, no, that doesn't sound like a very big." Thing. Actually, this is the biggest thing. This is the hardest thing for a diverse group of people to get uh, come together, who would never normally meet in their in their lives, you know, in the workplace or in family connections or whatever. Uh, massive diversity to come together and to really love one another is a huge challenge. To really be involved in one another's lives and to love one another with humility, with patience is a huge challenge to do that. And once you start trying to be deeply involved in one another's lives, then the challenges come up. But then you have the opportunity to shine like the sun in this world. As Jesus says, By this shall men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And he's thinking of loving one another in this community. Not a community of your friends, but a community that he's brought together in the in the church. So we have the opportunity as a group of people to shine with a love that actually draws people to it because they don't see anything else around. This is why it's so important that we don't just meet for this short time on a Sunday morning that we do things like our walk in Rouge Valley, where we get to know one other better. We meet in home groups. We do other things outside of church, meeting together, know, individually, um, having a place where we grow together as a community. One more thing I want to do is to give us a little bit of... Um, Context of who we are. One of the problems with the church today is we can have no sense of how we fit in with the last two thousand years. And I want to give you a very like brief kind of description. Um, the church has been going from the time of the apostles, and one day I'd like to give a sermon where I give a lot more description of the history of what's happened. But um, essentially. The, the core beliefs of the early church were laid down in what they called creeds, and we inherit those. We inherit that teaching. Ideas of the Trinity can go right back to those early churches. And the ideas I've been teaching today about church go right back, and we can read the church fathers saying the same kind of thing as I've been talking about today. But um, as time goes on, we see... Uh, You know, disagreements in different factions. And I want to give you a broad picture of Christianity and people who call themselves Christians in the world. I think you can fall it. You can divide into three groups. There's one group that says Bible is full of errors. There's no literal resurrection of Christ. You know, Jesus wasn't God. And I would say they may call themselves Christians, but they're not Christians because they're not followers of Christ and they don't believe Jesus word. And so a lot of people today in, in some of the kind of Older churches are basically, I think, dead spiritually because they they actually don't believe in the Bible. They don't believe that Jesus is God, that he was raised from the dead. The next group, I would say, is people who would say the Bible is insufficient. We need other books and traditions. And you get groups that we would call cults, people like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and other groups who would say, you know, we've brought these other things that come in and they, they're they not based on God's word. And I'm not going to just talk a lot more about that. I just want to say that those who say the Bible is God's word in its authority we often use the word evangelical for that. And that's what the tradition we stand in, that we believe that we are founded on God's word. So if you want to unpack that word, the word evangelical literally means good news. We believe in the good news. We believe in the good news of the gospel. We believe we're saved by God's free gift, not by our own works. And that would, that would be the tradition that we are in. And then broadly, if you want to divide that, You would say the cessationist, which means the supernatural gifts of the spirit have ceased. And the group that would say continuationist, the supernatural gifts continue. And we would be in the second of those groups. Um, so it would be evangelical continuation if you want, want a label on that. But I'm not trying to be divisive here. I'm just trying to show you how, you, how we fit in. And we would fit in right back to the, the early church, the, the earliest writings that we have of the church. We can trace who we are right back to those times. And uh, uh, although right in the beginning they would meet in people's homes for, for particular reasons, yet there's a, uh, we, we, the, the way that we do church would be very similar to the way that they would do it. And just to give you a, a very brief history about we how we as a church, how we exist, um, this is our, our our image that we 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 show on our signs—it's a photo actually that Heather took—and we, we this is a picture of new life of, a, of the concrete of the city, this hard dead concrete. But amazingly, a plant can grow up in the concrete, and this happens. We know plants can like break the concrete as they grow up. What is this? It is God's supernatural power breaking up and bringing life in the deadness. It's God's power coming down and 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 bringing new life. And so this is what, this. I love this image and it, I never grow tired of it and it's what we're about. Um, 2003, uh, my family began attending a church in Oakville called uh, King's Family Church and then we started taking a few people with us. We had a van. We would take a group of people with us to this church and then a couple of other people would go and uh, in tw- 2006, we began an offshoot of that meeting in our own home. I think we had one, Anne and I, and one other person in our first meeting. and uh, But then things began to grow, and we had a, a second group of people, a home group that would meet. And we decided to, with the church in Oakville, helped us get going and begin to meet uh, twice a month on a Sunday evening in our home. And we did that for a while. And then uh, uh, in, in 2008, we had enough of us to actually start renting a church, uh, a school room over on, in um, St. Martin's Church. Over a few blocks to the east of here. And in 2009, we launched New Life Church as a church plant. So we're, we're just a little plant. We're growing. And, uh, since that time, God has blessed us. We outgrew that, grew that building. We moved to another one. And then we moved here. And God blessed us in, t- in 2016, elders were appointed in the church here. And so we're, we're seeing God's power coming down. So, um, I want to to leave you with some sort of response to this. And uh, first of all, oh Yashi, no, I'll just say one more thing about New Life Church. When when we were praying and thinking about the church and about what God wanted to do with us, um, God gave me a verse of Scripture very powerfully as I was reading the Book of Acts. And Paul was about to visit a city called Corinth, and this city, in very many ways, was like Toronto. It was a multicultural city where all kinds of people groups met together. It had a dark side of it in terms of the corruption that was going on and sin that was going on. Um, it was it, it was a, a huge opportunity, but Paul was fearful. What was it? You know, what was going to happen here? And. Uh, we were at the point, you know, we're thinking, are we going to plant a church here in Toronto? And this is a verse that God spoke to me and still speaks to me about what he's doing. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I'm with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. And I believe that God has many in the city of Toronto. Now we're not the only church, of course, and we, we collaborate with other churches, uh, other groups of Christians, but... Uh, I believe that there are many that God has in this city, and I am hopeful we're going to see a huge turning to God in the city. Many, many brought in. I'm hopeful that we we won't be able to get everybody into this room. We'll have to have like overflow into the cafeteria, and we're and we'll maybe have to be meeting out of doors because there's so many people. Because I believe God is going to do a great work. But in the meantime, we need to follow His calling for us. And Paul's message is just as important for us. Urge to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. God has been planning this for all eternity. We are the culmination of his plans. Um, He plans us to be a community of love and of of, of care, uh, with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Um, So... uh, I want to just ask one more question: Coming to New Life Church, do you think that makes you a Christian? That makes you part of a church? Well, I'm hopefully hopefully you're going to say no. I'm not even going to have to ask that question because coming into a group of people doesn't actually make you right with Christ. But so, how do you actually become part of the the church, the entity, of the church? Well, um, where, when I was younger, I knew somebody who who was a member of a very spri- prestigious sports country club and when you went to this club you know you could join and there's all sorts of things but it was very expensive to get in to be a member of this club um, what does it cost to be a member of the church well it's it's very cheap and it's very expensive in fact it's free and it costs everything. It's free because all you have to do is ask. And it costs everything because God wants all of you. If you want to become a Christian, He wants all of you. He wants you to commit to your life, to His endeavor, to this project that He's about, that He started, that is so exciting, that's going to change the entire world. This project is so important that uh, He's uh, everything is is um, committed to it, and so. If you are not a member of God's church today, I want to urge you, this is the most exciting thing you could give your life to. It's free and it costs everything. All you have to do is to ask him, tell him you want to be a member and tell him you want to give him your life. Amen. So the worship team is going to come up now and we're going to close in a song. And while they're doing that, I'm just going to close in prayer. Father, I thank you that You have called us to be part of this purpose. I thank you, God, that we have the opportunity of being stars in your sky, of shining like the sun, as you tell us, of being a radiance of your love to this world. And we pray, Lord, that New Life Church here will have an amazing future as we see large numbers brought to you in the city of Toronto. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.